Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, a place to share new ideas, speak freely, and continuously find ways to live our best lives. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. Welcome to Tim Stodds FM. Thank you so much for joining me. Before I go any further, let me just say thank you. Over the last two weeks, I've kind of gotten like a record number of replies to my daily email newsletter, and people have been shouting me out on Twitter, talking about how much they've enjoyed some of the podcast episodes that I've been publishing. I know on your end, it's just a simple reply to an email or just like a, a simple tweet that you're sending out, but I'm telling you, I work so hard on all this stuff, and to know that there's people out there that are really being positively impacted on my work, it, it means the world to me. So anybody that gave me a shout out over the course of the last couple of weeks, especially, thank you so much. I, I can't even tell you how much I value that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My guest today is Pamela Wilson. To say that Pamela Wilson is an influential thought leader in the content marketing space would be an understatement. Uh, I've personally been following her work since I started my blog. Since 1987, Pamela has helped businesses of all sizes create brands that build their profits. In 2010, she created Big Brand System. This is Pamela's personal website and her personal brand. And it's been a culmination of 30 plus years of experience to help online business owners with easy to understand courses, articles, audio, and online workshops. Pamela is an author. We talk about her most recent book in this episode. She's a keynote speaker, and she's the former executive vice president of educational content at Rainmaker Digital, where she managed educational products and the copy blogger blog. I'm telling you, you are going to get so much value out of this episode. You'll listen in the podcast. There's even a few instances where I just kind of stopped the interview and I just asked her personal questions uh, that I thought could help me on my own blog just because she's so knowledgeable and she's, she's so good. Like her writing is so good. Her website is so good. The courses that she creates, like, I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this episode. It's phenomenal. So please help me welcome Pamela Wilson. Pamela, thank you so much for for joining my show. Um, I sincerely appreciate your time. And I kind of wanted to start with a little story because this is, is very true. When I got my introduction into building my blog and building, you know, my online business chops through content marketing, there was this group of like what I thought were kind of like online marketing, content marketing celebrities. And, um, and I used to read your blog uh, all the time, probably six or seven years ago and just look at it and be like, man, like, what do I got to do to be at this level? It was you, obviously it was, you know, Sonia Simone and Brian Clark with Copy Blogger. There was another writer on Copy Blogger named Damien Farnworth. Oh, sure. Um, I worked with him. Yeah. Sure. So, and, and between the four of you, I was like so flattered and honored that you would be on my show because I know that, uh, that at this point I'm just some guy conducting an interview, but you've had like a really, really big impact on, on my life and career. So I kind of wanted to start off with just saying thank you. Well, thank you. I don't hear that every day. So thank you. No, I, absolutely. And, and I mean that. So, so, okay, let's, uh, kind of jump right into it. I was, um, I was spending a lot of time sort of doing my homework and, and thinking about uh, some questions and some topics of discussion. And then yesterday, um, I was sort of on your website and you published a, a really amazing article recently. And I think it's probably the, the first one or the most recent one that you published all about finding the best length uh, for blogging and for content marketing. And I kind of took all my notes and I threw them out the window um, and I, I decided to start with this idea because this is something that has really kind of changed in the last five years in, I think, in uh, 
an adjustment just to the massive amounts of content that get published on the web every day and in order to actually make um, a, a dent in search traffic and to be found on Google, you have to just create content that is like bigger and badder and more valuable than ever. So um, kind of an open-ended question. I almost kind of wanted to get your, your viewpoint on this new wave of long form blog articles and, and really taking the time to do the deep work of just creating content that has like meat to it because it's, it's difficult to write blog posts that are 3,000 to 4,000 words. But I thought what you said um, in the article that you wrote was like very important and very pertinent. It's, it, I'm so glad you started with this. It's such a juicy topic because it's sort of a fundamental question that people ask themselves when they're starting out writing a new piece of content, like how in-depth am I going to go? And there's no hard and fast rules, as you saw in this post that you're referring to, but I like to think about it as kind of a holistic thing. So you do, you have your content goals, which are to rank for your topic so that people can find your website. Um, you want to establish your authority. You want people to see you as a trustworthy resource. So all of those are very noble goals. But the other thing that I like to mention is that content is created by people and we have to take the person into account as well. And that includes things like how much time do you have to work on this content? How many other things are you juggling in your life? How much experience do you have as a content creator? Because that's, that's a big part of what I talk about in this latest book actually is that Every content creator, just like every website, has a life cycle. So in the early years, when you don't have as much experience creating content, if I go to you and say, Tim, I need you to write a three to 4,000 word post, I mean, you would go running and screaming for the hills, right? <laughs> so... Yeah. What it, right? I mean, it's very intimidating. And by the way, none of my posts are that long. I mean, for me, a long post is maybe 2,500 words. Um, I just don't, I don't know why I don't write them that long. My book chapters are, can sometimes be that long or longer, but they don't tend to be that long in my blog posts. But at any rate, um, you know, I do think long form content can be very effective but at the same time, I hesitate to recommend it to people who are just starting out as content creators because I feel like that will make them feel as if they want to just throw in the towel before they've even started, right? Sure. So what I recommend is that you aim to create slightly shorter content, but that you publish more frequently, especially in the first year. So maybe you aim for posts that are between... 800 to 1,000 words, maybe 1,200 words in that first year. But what you try to do is you try to publish every single week. And what that will do is it will show the search engines what your blog is about. So that's really important because they'll say, oh, Tim, we know what he does because he's consistently writing about the same thing week after week, right? But it also develops your personal skills as a content creator because every week you're going through that process of figuring out what to write, figuring out what you want to say about it, getting your first draft written, polishing it and publishing it. And when you do that week after week for a whole year, well, first of all, at the end of the year, you have like 50 pieces of content, which is amazing. But you're also like... 50 times more confident as a content creator yes. because you've created 50 pieces of content. So it, this is a very long-winded answer to your question, but basically my thought is blog post link, and that's why the title of the post is actually a new way to think about the best blog post length mm. because I'm trying to take into account what the search engines want, but also like what you are capable of producing as a content creator, taking into account the level of experience you have. Does that make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. And, and you said that it was kind of a long winded answer, but 
I don't think that is true at all because there were two two things that really resonated with me um, with with what you just shared. The first one, and also in uh, it, it relates to a, a piece in the article that you wrote. Simply just the act of publishing your content. I uh, uh, people who listen to me regularly might be getting sick of me saying this, but I'm, I'm going to keep saying it forever because it's so important. The most important thing that you can do is actually get the words on the page or in this case, the screen or whatever, and then just hit the publish button because until you do that, you don't have a shot. You know, I, I can't actually find it. I'm, I'm trying to scroll through, but I know when I read this, you, you referenced, you know, like a a plan isn't going to get you found in the search engines and like a great outline isn't going to get you searched. It's really about getting it on the internet and hit and publish and then doing it consistently. And so on that, I also kind of want to expand into something else that you were saying that really resonated with me is I've been primarily an SEO um, with my marketing agency. We focus on, on SEO and a lot of times people think of this service as this kind of like hacker techie you know like secret science but it's not in reality it's it's really common sense because people have to understand that google and all the search engines their priority is to put the best stuff in front of the people that are using google to find answers to their questions so at the end of the day if you can just make the best stuff you know like there's other factors to it but if if you go into it thinking to yourself, I'm going to make the best stuff I can and do it consistently, like you're going to, you're going to get found through the search engines. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, but, but like you said, only if it actually gets published. Right? So, so that's why I think there almost needs to be like a sliding scale of what you aim for. So the first year, maybe the, the content is shorter. The, second year and second years two through five is what I usually say, like years two through five, you aim to just create richer and more in-depth content. And maybe you start incorporating some multimedia. I mean, that can really help to break up the content. If you add extra images, you add, mm. you know, graphics, or maybe some data that's illustrated with graphics or video or slide shares, you know, there are all sorts of things that you can do, but um, that is a fantastic thing to aim for. You're, you're basically just challenging yourself, you know, like in the book, I say, if I was your athletic coach um, and we had worked together for a full year and you had trained hard and you were doing great, in year two, I would be asking you to do more. I would be asking you to run faster, you know, more often, longer distances, things like that, just to get to the point where you could perform even better because you, you had this like foundation of training, right? So that's yeah. the idea is that in years two through five, you're kind of building on that foundation that you establish. And then in years six and on, then you really, I mean, you really have a strong foundation of content you have a lot of confidence as a content creator, and that's where you also have a lot of content. <laughs> so once you get to the point that you have a lot of content, you need to start seeing what you can do to refresh old content and things like that. I love that. that uh, just that analogy of, of training for, I don't know, sport or exercise or whatever, I think that is a, a very good analogy because it, it just translates well. So you mentioned your book and I, I want to jump right into your book. Um, Content Marketing Strategy. This is your second book. I almost want to just give you an opportunity to tell uh, the people listening, what does it mean to have a content marketing strategy? Because again, when I kind of first started, I was in the first year doing what you said, just publishing. I didn't realize that I could actually plan ahead and that I could actually like put things together and think of a goal and sort of work backwards with, with my, my strategy to, to get there. So what, what does that mean to, 
to actually build a content strategy? I think it means different things to different people. I can tell you what it means to me since it's you and I talking, but it's basically what we just said where you're aiming to get a new piece of content created every week. And what that will do is it establishes your website and it establishes you as a trustworthy authority on the topic that you create content around, on the topic that your website is about. So that's part of it, but it's also one of the things that I recommend to people is they start looking at their categories. So in any content management system, there's usually a way to categorize content so that the people arriving on your website kind of understand the main subtopics that you talk about. Like, let's say for your site, what are the main subtopics that you tend to talk about like over and over again? Yeah, so for me, um, my topics are based on writing. Um, I write about writing a lot, which I know sounds funny, but I do. Um, They're probably based on sales because I'm just a real fan of uh, learning how to use the written word to like gently persuade people as opposed to, you know, cold calling people and saying like, Hey, let me get your credit card. you know, like I'm a fan of using the actual copy. Um, and then I'm a, I'm a fan of just, I'd say the third category that I write about is, is kind of discipline. Um, my consistency over a long period of time has sort of been the thing that has, I, I don't know, it's weird talking about yourself, but has kind of get, gotten me over the edge of, uh, being, you know, quote, successful, you know, so I would right. say just the art of writing, the art of copywriting, and then sort of doing that with discipline is basically the three categories. Okay, perfect. So those, those would be categories on your blog, you could say, you can find things about discipline on this blog, you can find things about sales, copywriting, and writing in general. So those are categories. And when you're starting out, maybe you know for sure that you want to write about those three things. So over time, you may say um, part of discipline is also productivity. So I also write about productivity just, you know, to add a category. Um, Or maybe um, maybe it's content marketing instead of copywriting, which, you know, those are kind of different things. So the idea here is in this first year, you are thinking about a small group of categories that you're going to create content for. And later on, when someone finds your site, they're going to be able to click on that category link that runs below your piece of content that says copywriting, for example, and every single post that you've written about copywriting will come up for them. So it's being a little bit deliberate about the kinds of categories you wanna aim for, making sure that you don't just write one post in that category and call it a day, making sure that you revisit that category and continue to add content within that category so that if somebody goes to your site and they click on the discipline category, they find a nice group of posts that are going to give them more information on that subtopic. And then the other big thing in the early days is to just try to create the best quality content that you possibly can and and get a little bit better, a little more confident with every piece that you publish. I I love it. And I I love how you talked about sort of the technical elements of categorizing a website because I can tell you a huge mistake I made and I didn't know I was making it. I would bet that a lot of other people unintentionally make this mistake is like, so you just kind of start writing, you know? So if you go way back in the archives of of my blog, I would write about like particle physics sometimes because I'm just really into stars and space. And so I would be like, well, what am I going to write about today? And then, you know, some other days, maybe I would treat my blog almost like, kind of just journal style, like, well, this is something that happened to me today. And, and what do you guys think? And I wish I knew then the importance of like making your website and making your, your content as a whole, like about something, you know, 
Um, because yeah. I was just kind of all over the place and I didn't know it at the time. And I, I can't say I, I regret it because it was, it was part of my learning process. But what you say there is so critical about just how Google and people and even internally, like as the writer um, for your goals or whatever, the importance of finding something and then just kind of staying within that lane on your site. Right. Right. It's like, you know, you need to show up in a way that's kind of consistent. I, you see that a lot on social media where it, certain people who are really savvy about social media, and by the way, I don't include myself in that group, but the people who I see who are really good about social media, it's like they've decided that four or five things are going to be their things that they talk about. And so every time they show up on social media, they talk about the, they have like these themes that they revisit all the time. And, and that's awesome because it just allows people to say like, okay, that's what this person is about. And it's the same thing with the content on your website. It's people are arriving on your pages and saying, I mean, what they're really saying is, what's in it for me? <laughs> what sure. can I get from this website? And in order to figure out what they can get, they have to know what it is that you're offering. And if that is served up in a way that is super clear, it's just going to be much easier for them to figure that out. So that's how I interpret content strategy is just stepping back and it's never going to be perfect. I mean, all of us have regrets about things that we did in the early days of our blogs because we just didn't know. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons I wrote these books is so that you could go into it with a feeling like, okay, I'm going to be a little bit deliberate. I'm going to think this through and I'm going to try to make at least a loose plan that I'll try to follow in these early years. Because otherwise, you're kind of stumbling around making it up as you go along, right? That was totally me. Totally, totally me. And, you know, like, like I said, it's, it's tough to look back and be like, oh, like I really screwed that up because I was kind of just getting started. And I, I think that it would be better to at least be willing to, you know, publish your work while learning than not doing either of them. But I, I just, I can't, I, I can't stress enough the, the value of being deliberate, like you said, and, and knowing who your audience is. And there was another thing that you said in there, excuse me, that, that I thought was really important about clarity because again one of the mistakes that i made and i think a whole lot of people really struggle with this is people don't like coming across on their websites like they have an agenda and i've learned through trial and error and honestly just through um reading and and learning that there truly is like an art to being able to say like this is what i do this is how I can help you. Like, I would like you to join me. I would like you to either sign up or maybe buy a product or buy a service or, or whatever the case is without being overly in your face about it. And I've, I think that the answer is just being clear about what your intentions are. And, and I think that's probably another thing that, that people can learn from, from this blog post about, uh, you know, just saying, this is what I'm after. This is what I want you to do and, and learning like the subtle art of doing it in style. Yeah, it's, it's really tough. It's a tough balance. It I mean, hard. I think if you can come at it from an angle of, I want to serve you and this is how I can serve you, that can make you feel a lot better about offering something. It's like, I mean, the very first step is knowing that you have a really good solution. You have mm. to believe in your own solution. But when you can start from that place of knowing I have an amazing solution for people, then you just think, how can I let them know? How can I let them know so that I can serve them when they take the next step, whether the next step is to sign up for an opt-in incentive or to purchase a product or join a program? So it's, it's kind of, it's all about the intention behind the action, right? Absolutely. So I have a question to ask, which is a little bit off topic, but I'm just kind of dying to ask it. How 
cool is the feeling of of writing a book and publishing it it's kind of one of my dreams and i've always been really intimidated by the process um gosh like what is what does that feel like to actually have something that like you wrote and you can hold in your hand and say like i wrote this it is super cool tim <laughs> you should do it so but i i can tell you what i did to write it i actually have a big um tip that i can give you that was a huge help okay um i I wrote my first book when I was working way more than full-time for Rainmaker Digital Copy Blogger. I had a very busy job, but I knew I wanted to write this book. So around that time, I read a book called The 12-Week Year. Are you familiar with it? No, I'm not. Oh, man. It is such a good book. So what The 12-Week Year does, and it's not... I mean, it, it is a really useful book. It's not like a novel that you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what happens next. It's mm -hmm. basically just informational, but it's, it's really helpful. And what it does is it basically shows you a way to take a very large and daunting project and instead of spreading it out over a full year, you condense that year down to 12 weeks, which sounds super intense. Yeah, but I just got nervous. Even I know, it does. It sounds super intense, but you just basically say, what is a big goal that means a lot to me that I want to get done? And how can I break it up into 12 pieces and then make a chunk of time that I am going to devote only to that project every single week for the next 12 weeks? And you, you guard that time like it's sacrosanct. You know, you just, you don't let anything get in the way of that time and you spend 12 weeks chipping away at it. So what I did is during the 12 weeks at the beginning of 2016, my big goal was to get the first draft of my book written and I wanted it to be about 50,000 words. That's a lot of words for somebody who, you know, usually writes blog posts that are like 1,500 words, 50,000 was a lot. And even just structuring an entire book felt very daunting. But I wanted to try to finish it in 12 weeks. So I broke it down. I figured out how many words I needed to write every week if I was going to stay on track. And then I carved out time. I woke up early on Tuesday mornings and I wrote for three hours. And then every single Saturday morning during those 12 weeks, I wrote, I worked on the book. And as long as I hit my word count at the end of the week, I was able to stay on track. So the cool thing about this 12-week year process is that it actually allows you to have a few weeks in there that aren't as good. So I started this 12-week process I came down with a really bad flu. I don't get sick very often, but it just so happened that I was just like down for the count. And one of the secrets of this process is you're supposed to grade yourself every week to see how you're doing in, in relation to what you were hoping to accomplish that week. And it's like zero to a hundred, right? So in the first week of this 12-week year process for writing my first book, I gave myself like a 30% because I was really sick. I couldn't get anything done. So I got a, you know, a few things written, but like I started out way behind, you know? Yeah. But the beauty of this process is as long as your average score is hitting about 85%, according to them, you will probably meet your goal. And lo and behold, at the end of 12 weeks, I had a first draft written. Wow. And, and that was, I mean, it, you know, I had a lot going on in my life during that time. But I had it written and I sent it off to the editor and, and took it from there. So that's my biggest secret, really, is to have some kind of process where you're, you just break it down into smaller chunks and then you have some time devoted to working on it every single week until it gets done. That is so cool. And um, so we, we, we have the, uh, the roadmap that we still want to talk about, but for my own personal selfish reasons, I'm going to dive into this a little bit longer. Uh, one of the things that I find most intimidating about it, and I think you will be able to attest to this as well, is that I've trained myself to be able to write for the internet, which means mm -hmm. like, 
I know how to break big ideas into almost these really bite-sized chunks of content. And Frame. everything that I do is really short paragraphs. And I, I, I almost, well, not almost, I definitely deliberately don't go very in depth and I like trim as much fat as possible off of my, my sentences and my messaging. And like, I've, I've tried to sit down and just get the words on the page, you know, and I'm, I know I'm kind of like, <laughs> like uh, just spilling my guts here about it, but that, that has been the hardest part for me is I, I have a hard time like giving myself permission almost to just get deep and get in depth. Can you relate to that with your oh, process? Or totally, you just... totally. So you're talking to somebody. I thought that was just me. Oh no, to I can totally relate to that. You, you are talking to someone whose entire career was as a graphic designer. So I never thought of myself as a writer in any way, shape or form. Well, I, I started, oh yeah, no, I, I mean, I would do work for clients. If they needed something written, I would hire a copywriter. I never did it myself. I mean, <laughs> I was just you. a designer. That was all I did. I just made the words look good, but I didn't do anything about getting them written. So in 2010, when I started Big Brand System, I, that was really when I started to write. And my first writing was content marketing. So I learned to write for the web. That was the writing I did. And you definitely, you are right. You definitely have to switch gears when you start writing books. Um, and I, a part of what I did as a designer is I designed publications, including books in some cases. So I was used to these pages that had very long paragraphs and, you know, long paragraphs of text because that's how you design for print. In print, you're trying to conserve paper. Mm. So you're not, you don't have all these super short paragraphs. Oh my gosh, I never even thought of it that way. Oh, totally. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like there's actual economics in the way. Oh, the there's economics, it. yes. Because printing a book that has 120 pages versus a book that has 320 pages is much more expensive. So wow. you're looking at the total page length. I, I designed a lot of magazines and magazine publishers are very aware of that because it's, it's not only more paper that they have to pay for, but they have to pay for more press time and they have to pay more to mail the publication when it weighs more. So there are implications all the way down the production line. So I got used to designing in that environment and one of the, you know, a good publication designer makes a page that has a lot of words on it still look inviting. <laughs> That's like one of the big tricks that you're trying to do is the page doesn't look daunting even though it actually has a lot of words on it. Mm -hmm. On the internet, it's the exact opposite. You, you know, adding a return and adding white space doesn't cost you anything. It makes it look more inviting. And so I also got into the habit of writing super short paragraphs, breaking them up, adding lots of bulleted lists. So you do, you have to kind of relearn. Um, that doesn't mean though that everything changes. So for example, my online content, I tend to start with an underlying structure. So I kind of know what my subheads are going to be. I know the mm -hmm. overall premise of the piece. Um, I just do it in X number of words for online. And then if it was a chapter of a book, I kind of multiply that by five, you mm -hmm. know? So um, it just, you do, it gives you a chance to, it's actually really awesome though, because it gives you a chance you don't have to edit yourself as much. You can think about stories that you want to bring in to illustrate a point. You can reach out to colleagues and bring in their examples and things like that. So it's, it's an opportunity for you to write in a way that's much richer in a way. And I still have plenty. I mean, if you look at my books, they still have plenty of bulleted lists and subheads and all of that. So mm -hmm. I still, even though they're print, books, I do still, I'm very aware of, is the page skimmable? So I think my books probably compared to the average book are a bit more skimmable, I would say. All right, Pamela, listen here. I'm going to have, I'm going to have it written by September, I'll say. I, I can't start it for at least the next two or three months, but 12 weeks, if I start it 
after I get married in May, I think I can have it done by September. So I'm, I'm saying it out loud. I'm saying it to you. I'm saying it to my show. I'm going to buy this, this 12, the 12 week year. year. Yeah. That's it. It's a great place to start because then you'll have, you'll have a process you can follow. Um, I used, there's a piece of software called Scrivener. And one of the things that's really cool about Scrivener is you can actually say like, by this date, I want to have a book that has this many words and it will say, and, and you can say like, for example, I'm going to write for two sessions each week. And it will say, okay, in each session, you need to write, you know, 1,750 words or whatever. So it, it does all that math and then it shows you like a progress bar and you can kind of see visually where you are in relation to your goals. So that was the other kind of secret tool that was super helpful because it just gives you this immediate feedback. Yeah, and I'm I'm sitting here already saying to myself, it's like, well, I have this, I have that, but you told me at the time, I forget your official position, but I'm pretty sure it was like VP of content or something for uh, Rainmaker Digital, it's called now, but for copy bloggers. So um, I believe you when you say that you had a very busy schedule at the same time that you wrote the book. So like you you stole one of my excuses from me already. So so that's it. Yeah, it was it was pretty busy. You can do this though. And I have to tell you, one of the people who I coached last year actually, I'm still coaching him this year, but um he had a big goal. I coached him through the process of getting his first book written, basically. Cool. Um, I mean, I was it's business coaching, but you know, that was one of the things that I helped him with. And I, I said to him, there, there's nothing. I mean, it is amazing the doors that having a book will open to you. Um, and just, I think a lot of it is just that you, speaking of discipline, you had the discipline to make it all the way through this massive project because that's all a book really is. It's just a really big, long project from mm-hmm. start to finish. And, and the fact that you had a di- the discipline to take it from idea to finished product is just, it's impressive to people. Yeah. And I just, I, I don't know. It's the only, I just want it really bad. It's kind of the only thing that I've ever actually looked at. It's like, man, I need to do that one day. I'm, I'm pretty go with the flow kind of guy. I've always kind of been happy and I, I'm looking for like a new adventure, you know, but gosh, that, that's always just been the thing. I just, I always just wanted to see a book with my name on it on the shelf. So by September, yeah. you heard it here. All right. All right. Awesome. I'm right. looking forward to it. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Uh, okay. So um, I want to talk a little bit about this roadmap that you have on your site. It's, it's a pretty, um, what am I saying? It, it, it seems like it, it breaks the process down into, again, really sort of digestible um, easy to understand chunks on how to build a, a, a content plan in a business. Uh, right. Please just to explain, explain your roadmap a little bit. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked about it. So this roadmap came from the fact that so many people who I coach or I help in my online programs, they're trying to build an online business and they have spent years drinking from the fire hose of online advice, right? Yep. You know what I'm talking about, right? Of course. <laughs> Just trying to absorb how it is that an online business is supposed to go together. Um, and I had this revelation back in 2017 that a big part of what was keeping people confused was that they were trying to do everything all at once and that online business actually comes together in pretty distinct stages. And if you know the stage you're in and you just focus on doing the most important things for that particular stage, you can ignore the other stages. So you can take your entire to-do list and chop it down to 25% of its current size. So you may have all these things. I got to do this for my online business. I got to do that. I have to start running Facebook ads and I have to have affiliate marketing. I have to do JV partnerships and all these things. And those things might be for a stage that's like three doors down from where you are right now. So that's what I tried to do with this roadmap is to just spell out those stages so that people could understand where they are right now 
and identify it and then know what they needed to focus on. Uh, Again, you said the word focus and I love that so much. That's been probably the biggest turning point in my life for the last two years is, um, I mean, exactly what you just said. I, I think a lot of people struggle with that, especially when it comes to building an online business because the tasks seem so overwhelming and there's so many different people saying like, you need to do this, you need to do that. I, I, I don't know if you've read this. There's a book called The One Thing. Yes, um, great I, book. It, it is a great book and it's right in front of me on the bookshelf. I forget what the author is. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But when I read that, it was the first time when I sort of gave myself permission to not feel like if I'm not if I'm not covering this base, I'm not covering that base, I'm not meeting people and I'm not writing and I'm not doing videos and posting pictures, like somehow I'm falling short. And it, it helped me just sort of say like, this is where I want to focus on and I'm going to focus on this thing until I feel confident to move on to the next thing. And I, I know that doesn't directly line up with the roadmap, but what I'm trying to do is just draw a comparison to how much of a huge impact that had on my life where, I mean, geez, every day there's a new person, probably myself included, just saying, follow this advice, right? Do it this way, do it that way, where sometimes all it takes is just picking one idea and just doing that one idea until you're like a master at it. Exactly. Right, right. And, And it's also important to do things to a certain extent in some kind of chronological order so that you can build on your previous success. So it doesn't make a lot of sense, for example, to develop an affiliate program for your products if you haven't come up with a product that you've tested and you know that it has a certain conversion rate, right? Mm -hmm. Because how are you going to get affiliates? The first question out of an affiliate's mouth is, well, what's the conversion rate on this? And if you're like, well, I don't know, it's brand new. I'm not really sure what people are going to think. They're not going to want to be your affiliate. So it's not that affiliate programs are a bad goal to aim for, but first you have to do the foundational stuff like creating a product, testing that product, figuring out what you need to do to promote that product and things like that. So on, obviously I want to ask you to kind of give away the entire roadmap, but for my own curiosity, where, where's the place to start? Do you think people start in the wrong place? And if they do, where, where should they start? If, if I'm Tim and I wake up and I say, man, I just, I want to have an online business so bad. Um, I don't know about anything where, what's my first step? Right. So the way I have it mapped out, it's got four stages and the first stage is the plan stage. The second stage is build, the third stage is implement, and the last stage is grow. And in the plan stage, what you're really doing is you're you're planning. I mean, you're literally researching, you're figuring out who your ideal customer will be, what you're going to offer to that customer, things like, what am I going to call my business? Um, You want to start to establish your visual brand at this stage, which doesn't necessarily mean a fancy logo, but maybe you pick out a couple of colors and you pick out some fonts and you just plan. It's like you're not actually building anything at this stage. You're doing a lot of thinking and researching. A lot of people, Tim, never leave the plan stage. (laughs) They just plan. Well, because planning is a lot of fun. It's like dreaming, right? It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's the vision board. But at some point... Right, exactly. But at some point you have to move beyond that into the build stage and that's where you're actually building your website, you are building your initial content, you're building like a minimum viable offer that you can try out and see how people receive it. And you're probably building like an initial funnel. So you're moving people from finding you to maybe an email list and then you make them an offer. So you're doing that first very basic funnel. All of that happens in the build stage. And then in the implement stage, you're, you've grown a bit. So you have an email list that has a decent number of people on it. Maybe you're starting to do things like product launches or service launches. You're starting to see pretty consistent conversion rates on certain products and services, which is great. 
and you're feeling a lot more comfortable like measuring data mm. and iterating based on what you see and all of that. So one of the things I tell people is a lot of times you can, you can just end up in the implement stage and never leave it, which is fine. I mean, in the implement stage, you're making money, right? Your business is growing and that's all good. But some people move on to this final stage, which I call the growth stage. And at that point, usually they have at least one product that converts at a reliable rate. And that allows them to say, okay, if I get X number of people, if I make this offer to X number of people, this percentage of those people will actually take me up on it. And so they can kind of plan out their cash flow mm -hmm. and they can start doing things like, okay, I'm going to invest in advertising. I'm going to try to get paid traffic to see my offer and things like that. So they have a reliable amount of income and they're able to reinvest some of that income. And then they can do things like I said earlier, like affiliate programs, joint venture programs, because they have the numbers at that point to do those kinds of things. And the other thing that happens in that growth stage is sometimes people say, you know, I know my audience so well that I think they need something else. And so they decide to add a new line of business or a new revenue stream. And when they do that, a lot of times they go back through all these stages again. So they go through the planning of that new line of business, the building and the implementing. So it's, it's kind of cool. You move through it once. If you get all the way to the last stage, oftentimes you go back for new lines of business and you can repeat the process. Yeah, that is, th thank you very much for, for going in depth with it. I didn't want to kind of ask you to, to, to give all your secrets away, but I was taking notes the entire time. Well, the secret isn't getting it all done, but. <laughs> well, that, that's, <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, that's, that's, right. That, that's the map and the secret is making the trip. So yeah, yeah. is making it happen. Um, so one final question, but before we wrap this up, I you had mentioned in the growth stage and uh, again, just cause I'm kind of picking your brain because you're, you're so knowledgeable at this. You talked about, okay, I have something it's working. I can kind of measure my data. I have a basic understanding about my conversions. Let me add something else. And one of the things that I've read in your work before and kind of other people in this, you know, that content marketing circle that I talked about earlier they're very upfront about like asking their audience what else it is that they can offer and that they can be of service to. Do you subscribe into that kind of thinking? Because I've, I've often felt kind of awkward just saying like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you buy it from me? <laughs> you know, how would I go about doing that if I'm in the growth stage and I'm kind of hit that that pit point where I can't scale anymore. So I want to offer something else. What would, how would I use my audience to, to research that? I, I think first of all, you'll probably hear because of the questions that people will ask you inside of a community, maybe that you formed or a product mm. that you already offer. People will start asking the same thing over and over again. This is where I'm getting stuck. I'm not sure what to do. I can't get beyond where I am now because of this thing. And you'll start to see a pattern. You'll start to see people mentioning the same thing. Asking them is awesome, but pe you know, people saying that they're going to buy something isn't the same thing as people actually buying something. Sure. So I'm a big believer in creating a minimum viable version of whatever it is that you want to develop and then offering it at a really huge discount to an, an initial group of people who you ask to give you feedback on it. So one example is I have a product called the Image Lab. Um, and it, it's a product that helps people who are not designers and who don't think that they're very artistic. It helps them to create visual marketing. When I first developed this product, I knew more or less what I thought I needed to teach so that people who didn't have any design background could do this. And what I did is I offered it at a really discounted rate, like half of what it sells for now. 
and I got an initial group of students. And what was fascinating about it is they asked amazing questions and they got stuck on things that I never thought they would get stuck on. So I, what I did is I delivered every week, I delivered a new lesson, but I delivered it live. And so I was able to hear the questions they were asking. And in the next week's lesson, I made sure I covered those things. So we almost co-created it, which was great because by the time the final product came out, it really met people's needs because I really knew what their needs were, you know, and I had a, an inkling that it was going to sell well because the initial group snapped it right up and, and paid me for it. So it, it was a way to get paid to create something that I was then able to go on and polish and make even better and sell for a much higher price. So I really like testing by asking people to put money down because that's really the ultimate test. I think that's a, a much better way to look at it. Basically what I heard is you're saying it's more about listening than it is asking because ultimately if you build a community just by, just by the process of interacting, eventually people are gonna tell you what it is that they want. Exactly, yeah. That, that's great. Um, wow, Pamela, like, Thank you so much for talking to me. Um, I'm looking at this image lab thing right now as you're speaking because I, I'm a terrible, terrible designer. A lot of my team make fun of me because like, if it was up to me, every website in the world would kind of just look like Wikipedia because like, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so this looks super fascinating. I'm going to uh, link image lab in the show notes as well. Um, I'll link the uh, landing page if, if people want to get um, the roadmap as well. Um, and then everything else that I can kind of find out about you. I know that anybody listening will get like huge, huge value from just following your blogs and, and listening to your message each week. So like, seriously, thank you so much for talking to me. I, I really loved it. This has been so much fun. Thank you. No problem. Uh, anybody listening to the podcast, thank you so much for your attention. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Obviously, give me a like and a subscribe and all of the stuff that people are asking for every time. Thank you for your time and I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Pamela, thanks again. Bye-bye. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.